You are listening to the Light Over Time podcast with David Sargent and Corey Bartos. Hey, David. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty good. We've been talking about doing this for a good long time. <laughs> oh, it's been a full year, I think. Yeah, I decided to <laughs> totally, you know, screw off and go to Asia, so that didn't help. <laughs> yeah, that's you, damn bastard. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is the first episode of the Light Over Time podcast. I think we should just start off with like who you are and you know your experience in the world of uh, you know crafting light into images. And uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, before I even describe who I am, we should probably describe what this podcast is going to be about, right? Like, this isn't really just a photography podcast, right? It's kind of like an everything for makers, crafters, creators podcast. Is that correct? This is our uh, all of all of that that happens outside of the realm of our everyday jobs and lives. Uh, sure. So, the, the brilliance between Light Over Time podcast being uh, Light Over Time is how you take a picture of uh, a video, and uh, mm -hmm. this is our Light Over Time because I like doing this. I think it's a lot of fun. But yeah. it's it's work at the end of the work week. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's exciting to explore. Uh, we'll get into some of the things you do not photo related, and that'll be a huge topic on this show and some of the yeah. other things that I'm doing. And, uh, you know, hell, maybe we'll have some uh, some local folks on here and there and we'll uh, we'll discuss what they do as well. But, yeah, it's uh, sure. it's the nature of the world we live in right now is, uh, you know, we're all we're all doing a little bit of light over time. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess I'll get started. Uh, I'm David. Nice to meet you guys. I have been shooting professionally uh, photography for the last 10, almost 11 years now. Um, the origin story of that is that um, in 2011, December, uh, a couple of friends invited me to go to New York. And we had this insane adventure um, from Flint on using Amtrak trains from Flint to Chicago to New York, and we spent a total of like 64 hours on trains. And with that, we spent like two or three days in, in New York uh, during the, um, oh, what was it, the uh, Occupy Wall Street stuff. And so I was really into journalism then. I was um, our editor um, for our high school paper or whatever. So I took a, a little HP flip camera. It's around here somewhere, but it's like, I don't know, I think I must have had like a maybe a 64 megabyte card or something on it. Like I could take a couple hundred crappy JPEGs or a few videos. And so I started out by taking a bunch of videos and I was like, oh, I, I can do nothing more with this now. So I deleted all the, most of the videos I took um, and just started taking pictures. And it was a lot of fun. And I never really got to experience that before then I was 17 or 18, I think I was 18. And yeah, it was a ton of fun. So since then, I spent 10 years just honing the craft, enjoying the process, and um, it's been a ride, man. I've done a lot of weddings. I do mostly landscapes, a lot of wildlife, astrophotography. So I kind of dip my toes into lots of different areas of photography. Um, and lately, if we want to just jump right into the other stuff, uh, I've been roasting coffee. So for the last year and a half, actually, I've been trying to become um, a source for specialty coffee in my local community <clears throat> and so I've been providing coffee to my farmers markets and that's a lot of fun we can talk more about that later but that's me love to hear it yeah I actually uh, I think you briefly told me that uh, that story that origin story a little bit but I totally had forgotten that's that's wicked man uh, <laughs> yeah sounds like a hell of a trip it um, was. yeah well uh, 
little bit about me. I started this uh, photo video journey, at least, as a uh, Tumblr blogger back in the day. Um, I had a blog called, uh, if you're familiar with Tumblr in the early 2010s, uh, Fuck Yeah Effects Pedals, which was, um, maybe I'll bleep that, I'm not sure, but uh, that's the name of the blog, and uh, basically it's all things guitar effects, and that led me to going to YouTube, and YouTube led me to cameras, and then I found out very quickly that I actually preferred a great deal of the, the creating photo videos uh, more so than I did turning a passion of mine, which was playing guitar, into a job. And uh, yeah, so then I was I was doing that for various businesses. I would do product photos and things like that. That led me into uh, when I was getting back into college, understanding that I was already doing a lot of marketing stuff for people. And then I got into uh, basically full-time marketing content creation. So I've worked for my public library. I've worked for a camp uh, every summer for the last like five years. Um, I did a short jaunt of uh, being a travel YouTuber, <laughs> and uh, then uh, I work for a company now that um, does some manufacturing in a realm maybe we'll talk about later, but uh, yeah, so I, I basically, everything that I do that I think is fun, I've turned into photo video from adventures to traveling Japan to traveling all over the U.S. to uh, shooting a lot of dogs, which is like, you know, dog photography is one of my probably favorite things of all time. And, uh, yeah, so that led um, me and David to meeting each other because I had a friend that I went to college with who happens to be his brother-in-law. And uh, he was like, well, this guy does photos. You might like him. I think that's probably somehow <laughs> how we got connected. I think he probably just mentioned your name. I looked yeah. you up, saw you did cool stuff. We followed and didn't probably didn't talk for, like, years or oh, something. Oh, yeah, it was, like, four Until or five years. Up. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> um, it was super nuts. So, yeah, very fun stuff. Um David does uh, some workshops and stuff that we'll probably get talking to because I think he's got one coming up at some point as well. But uh, I think like really the first time we officially met was I came up and did some BTS for that and hung out to check out one of your workshops. And uh, that, was, yeah. that was a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah. And then ever since then, I mean, I have to have somebody that I talk about all this nerdy crap to or else my uh, non-camera friends will stop talking to me completely. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> That's me. That's David. Uh, I think I have a couple of topics we're going to run through today. Um, and I'd love to start with, especially after COVID kind of stifled our ability to create for a while. 2022 for me was the first year that I got back into creating at a pretty high level where I was kind of always making stuff. Um, and I want to start with what you're, you're either most exciting or challenging or uh, I guess your biggest creating experience of 2022 was. Outside of coffee making, that is, unless it is your uh, coffee well, making. It, well, so here's the funny thing is, uh, all of the skills I have been building for photography, and I dip my toes into video, I have a YouTube channel for the coffee, so I'm, what I'm doing with coffee is heavily intertwined with the photo video skills that I have, because I am my own marketer, and that is my marketing. I don't pay for marketing, I just post content constantly, so... Even though I'd love to say the, like my workshop last spring was my highlight, and it was a, it's always a highlight, the most dominant thing in my mind that I can really just call back to is just how much work with photo and video that I've put into uh, over the course of the last year, um, kind of just pipelining everything about coffee to all my potential customers and to people uh, as far as like educational purposes go. So uh, getting 
a little bit of experience with product photography, which has probably been my weak, my weak, one of my weaknesses as far as my photography skills rounding goes. Uh, getting experience with product photography, um, like in-home lighting, to do very specific things with either my products or for filming me. Um, I am terrible with artificial lighting. It's why I, <laughs> I'm outside all the time, landscapes, wildlife, astrophotography, uh, weddings even. I'm, you won't find me with a flash, and I tell my customer clients that all the time. I'm, I'm not an artificial lighting master, expert, amateur at all. I just don't touch flash, um, but I do have continuous lights for video. So that's what I am really just calling back to right now is recalling how much work I've put in trying to grow my kind of product photography, videography, and the YouTube channel has probably close to 30 videos now, and it's slowly growing, but if I look at my first couple of videos to my last couple, there's definitely a few different areas that I can for sure see I've grown in, so yeah. that's, that's me. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that that journey has been cool because it's happened kind of so fast. Um, you know, it's it's a hugely niche uh, thing to make coffee content, especially because like a, a place like Instagram is littered with it. So like to diversify mm -hmm. is so hard. Um, but it looks like, you know, at least you're starting to get a pretty decent following just through people interested in some of the informational stuff or some of the vlog stuff, which was fun to watch. Yeah, the vlog stuff is fun. Um, that's something I've always I love to consume that kind of content. When Casey was doing his daily vlogs, it was everybody was watching that stuff, right? And I was right there alongside everybody else and just loving it. And that style of storytelling has always been so interesting to me. Um, and I th I've always wanted to bring that to my photography, but I've never felt motivated enough to, to vlog photography because then I feel like it's taking away from the photography. And I consume a lot of that too. Uh, Thomas Heaton, Adam Gibbs, those guys are YouTube they're YouTubers first, really, but they're amazing photographers. But they've put a whole lot of time and effort into storytelling through video. Um, and somehow they're still able to come out with just incredible world-class images doing both of those things at the same time. Now I have a reason with the coffee to, um, to kind of do that type of storytelling without worrying too much about the photography, but telling more of a story about my relationship with coffee and photography on a broader sense, not necessarily going super technical into the photography. A lot of it is educational stuff for people who are looking for like, what type of gear should I buy for coffee? And what type of this and that should I try? So I try to hit a lot of different areas with the YouTube channel and it's fun. It is a lot of fun, but I've grown for sure. It's, it's a small community. It's really small right now, but the, the, the people that do follow are really engaged and I love that. Every single one of them who do come to comment, have a question, it's just an awesome little space to be in. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, places like Instagram are kind of, the, the engagement has dwindled to almost nothing. Um, so I would, I would take a small active community on uh, YouTube over just about anything else, um, yeah. like bar none. Especially like oh, just yeah. the, the stuff that happened while I was traveling. If I could try and emulate that when I get into uh, reviving my channel, I'm, I'd be, you know, super happy. So what about you for last year? I mean, the last year's been pretty weird. Uh, <laughs> professionally, I think I, I started to kind of get a better grasp of how I was um, applying marketing, like, mindset to creating some of the stuff that I was doing for, say, like, the camp that I was working at or even... Uh, the company I'm back at now that I was working for last spring. Um, but I have, I haven't had as many lessons in as short of a time as I did 
doing the the travels in the Philippines. Um, so I had a channel briefly with a friend. We went to the Philippines for two months from October to November. Um, it was called Korean Cruise. Now it's called J or Cruise. Uh, he went back to the Philippines, which is pretty wild. Um, but, you know, everybody kind of, especially, you know, I think younger people that are getting into content creation, they're like, oh, it'd be so cool to travel the world and like make content every day and all this <clears throat> other stuff. And it was like, obviously a humbling experience because it's not easy. I've never, ever assumed that it was easy. Um, and I didn't assume it was going to be easy going into it. But the the challenges that I faced weren't necessarily like, oh, this is hard or anything like that. It was just like, actually existing in a totally different yeah. place and trying to take the most from it while also trying to capture it somehow. I didn't yeah. quite get to the point where I, I thought I was doing it well or I found a balance, but uh, I definitely walked away with some tools that I didn't have for capturing day-to-day -day life or like stuff that seems, uh, I guess like, you know, if I'm doing day-to-day -day content for the company I work for now, trying to turn the mundane experiences that like are mundane because I do them daily into content and tell that story. Yeah. It was like a masterclass on doing that because once you change everything about your environment, you're like, Oh, everything is content. That's like the joke, right? Like, <laughs> so you can see how everything can be content and how you can make good, compelling storytelling with simpler things when you have to, when you're like, oh, everything is wild. Like me actually getting this coffee from this tiny vendor and like a crazy busy wild street or something like that. That is an interesting story. Me trying to find a freaking camera repair shop in the middle of like <laughs> Cebu City was like, you know, it was wild. You, uh, you start to see things different. You start to be able to frame uh, like everyday life a little differently. And that was really cool. So that was exciting for me to see how, how much I could grow in such a short amount of time doing that kind of content. Yeah. I mean, just watching a watching your stories and watching your videos, you, you, you put this particular perspective on it and we have this lens we're allowed to look through to see how your time is going. And then when I talk to you, it was always these constant little reality checks of, oh, this was difficult today, and I gotta, I gotta really think about how I'm going to navigate this today, um, and that's just, you know, there's two very different sides to the pressures involved with what I'm sure you found out pretty early on, and then going through the whole thing, the videos and the content you did make, I love it, I loved every second of it, but the viewers like me, unless we were to talk to you, don't understand all involved like you do. Yeah, and it, I mean, especially we did like a kind of a podcasty version, like retrospective of like a week at a time kind of deal and mm -hmm. things like that. It's super easy to just make all of the kind of challenges not really a part of the conversation because you're like, okay, well, here's this giant grab bag of awesome shit we did all week. But uh, let me tell you about the like 16 hours of editing and the like, you know, four hour nights and, you know, waking up, jumping in the car, jumping on bikes and like getting right after it as soon as we could. And then. Uh, you know, finding Wi-Fi for five and a half hours to try and even upload a video. And, <laughs> mm. um, you know, it was, it was wild. Uh, it changed how I deal with stress. It changed how I problem solved and how I could, like, you know, keep my, my head and my, my things together while I was in those challenges. It was, it was an awesome time. It was definitely, you know, I'll probably talk That's... about that trip for the next, like, ten years. But I bet you will. I find it uh, interesting this the way you said it changed how i deal with stress can you talk about that more well like 
So obviously, working in marketing and content creation, you're under a, an enormous amount of stress all the time. Anyway, you have deadlines, you have things, and you're like, okay, I got to make yeah. this stuff. But when you're like trying to also, uh, you're in a relatively developing country, and the Philippines has a, a, a very wide spectrum of how developed and underdeveloped certain places are. But you know, we were we started on an island, a very very small, relatively remote island, where infrastructure was not anything that I was used to, where like. You know, every single thing that I had to do, I either had to get help from somebody to like, hey, how can I try and get a connection so I can actually get this stuff? I was having computer issues and things like that, but I almost attribute the island way of life to, hey, man, this stuff is going to get solved when it gets solved. Like, obviously work on it, like, but don't, like, don't get crazy heated about it and be like, ah, ah, because ah, like all of a sudden I'm doing like what I attribute to big city life like pressure in a remote chill surfing island. So like mm. it, it kind of, my environment made that pressure feel different. And then I realized it, it isn't the environment at all. It's how you choose to handle that pressure. So I was able to like adapt because of the environment to not turning that pressure into like a pressure bomb, right? It's like, mm. just, just let it go. Like you're working on it. It'll get solved when it gets solved. You have every resource you possibly can have, you know, you have all the people that you need, like, we'll figure it out. We'll get something going to make it work. Like just calm down. So, and, uh, I think it kind of, it kind of started during that time, but I say often, there's a lot of things that I could be fussy about, but this isn't one of them. And I say that to a lot of stuff. Like people are like, well, doesn't that bug you? And I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. There's a lot of stuff to be fussy about. And it sure as heck ain't this. So, you know. Now, when we talk, I mean, if we can talk a little bit more about the trip, if you don't mind, I would like to bring up because there was one stressful point that I was on you about all the time. And that was damaging that lens yeah, and your yeah. trip to trying to find a repair shop, like yeah. you said. Uh, and then how much of that was out of your control versus the work you had to put in to find the place and then just waiting. I mean, at that point in time, it was probably, what, a third of the way through the whole thing? Yeah, or yeah, so, yeah. A, a few weeks, um, for sure. So you were, you, you kind of just took a nosedive into uh, how to how to differently handle a certain level of stress for certain, certain things. So if you want to talk about that a little bit, I mean, I don't know what I would even do, and I'm in the States. I have, I have resources pretty well available to me. I would just, I would cry. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, like things happen, right? And I guess because like the nature of basically I, I had a motorcycle in second gear and it kind of got away from me and I put it down so it didn't hit anybody, but I was wearing a sling bag and it kind of nicked the um, the bag a little bit and it damaged. It wasn't even that big of a damage, but the mount on my 20 millimeter uh, got a little messed up. And I only brought a 24 to 105, a 20 mil 1.8, and an 85 1.8. So, you know, I kind of needed like 25% or maybe even 35% <laughs> that 20 mil. I needed the 85 for like a couple of shots, maybe. I only used it like twice. But then I mainly used the 24 to 105. You know, I'm six foot nine, so I can vlog on a 24 on a full frame pretty easily. Like, my arm is enormously long, so. Um, I didn't need the 20 to, to vlog, but, you know, nighttime or, you know, just having a smaller package than a 24 to 105. Like I was relying on that lens quite a lot. And, uh, yeah, so I was just like, okay, well now I'm walking around with a paperweight in my bag 
that like okay. is worth enough money that I can't just like, get rid of it because it's not broken to the point of like throw it in the trash. Right. And uh, so obviously on the on Shargao Island I couldn't do anything, but I, I just kind of researched around and there wasn't like great looking camera shops, uh, <laughs> but some of them had fine reviews and like a lot of them were like one tech and. It was just like a dude and he maybe had like a helper and then there was like an, a shop owner and it was always in these little parts you know these these little uh outlets and stuff in the in the city where it was just like they had a freaking metal <laughs> like thing to shut up shop and like there was a little five by eight foot you know cube and so i find this place online and i just commit to it i was like this is the one that i want to go to it makes the most sense you know I'm from America. I was like, Alan's Camera Shop sounds pretty good. I was like, <laughs> maybe they're affiliated with Alan's Camera in Philly. Probably not. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I talked to this guy. He he doesn't really, he hasn't worked on this particular lens, but he, he I, I saw that they worked on some Leica M-mount stuff and like they'll disassemble a Leica M-mount. They can probably fix this better than I can. Um, I've torn apart a JC Penny 28 mil like old FD lens and <laughs> could not get it back together. Uh, Same. So, <laughs> so I was like, I'm good on all that. Have fun, friend. Um, it was, but I mean, it was it was stressful. But I was like, okay, well, they're either yeah. gonna fix it or they won't. The bench fee was like <clears throat> 500 pesos or 300 pesos if they couldn't do it, which is only about a few bucks. Um, yeah. So I just said, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do this and hope that in two weeks my lens still exists. Like, I'm not going to get scammed out of it. And, uh, yeah, it, it was fine. But um, I guess just that kind of way to start tackling issues and tackling my struggles and stuff, I was like, there's only one way to be, and it's continue because I'm out mm -hmm. in Southeast Asia, and I, I, have, I don't have a similar experience to that and i've done a lot of traveling yeah. all over the states i've done road trips with friends with like no budget and i've done you know backpacking trips with absolutely no money across the country <laughs> and like none of that compared to the stressors of like jumping in trikes and like renting motorcycles and just like kind of bombing around southeast asia it's a totally different experience and just so you guys know I have the same 20 mil lens, and that's what this my video here is being recorded on. I adore this lens. So when he told me that that, that broke, I was just like in my mind was like, no, no, it's a nightmare now. This is terrible. Yeah. So I was very was, on edge, waiting for responses about how this was going. Yeah, it was it was wild. I mean, you know, <laughs> David and I have a, a decent little small collection of like pretty pretty good kit, but you know he and I are both in the place of life where like, if we're going to buy a lens, we probably have been talking about it for three months and saving up. And we're like, I can't wait to get this thing. Yeah. So like an $800 lens is a big deal to us. Um, so it was, it, again, it was stressful, but you know, I had a job to do. I was trying to make as much content as possible and I just had to, had to deal with it. I, I was, uh, I had a, a 6,500 because I was like, okay, let me, let me trade some guitar stuff. I'm not going to use for like a smaller camera that might be handy. And uh, we'll talk about it as part of a different topic later, but man, does that last generation of APS-C cameras just lack almost every creature comfort that, like, obviously my A7S III has, but even if I had my A7R IV, which isn't as updated as my A7S III, I would have just been much happier with. So as far as, like, convenience cameras and stuff go, it was... Uh, <laughs> 
I basically wasted space because I never touched that damn camera and I could have taken either, yeah. you know, another lens or just I, I would have preferred to take my other big camera, which was uh, pretty bewildering because, you know, that's a lot of kit to take. <laughs> I, I do have a question for you. Um, as much as the A65 didn't meet your standards or what you hoped it would be, um, what would it take for something like an A7000 to have to be like for you to want it? And keep uh, it and use it. I mean, I would need it to have, um, at it has to have 10 bit nowadays, man. I can't play with these 8 bit files. The color, uh, I mean, I haven't used an A6600. I have to assume that the colors are better, like they're the, the more modern Sony colors, but like the blue channel of that entire camera was almost useless to me. It was it was horrible. I don't know if it had like too much luminance like baked into it, so the blues were brighter and tealer, and just in a way that like nothing I did made the colors even like I would rather use the GoPro than that camera almost every time, and that's crazy to me because I hate GoPro footage. Um, Can you put like a percentage of like how much footage actually ended up coming from that being used in the YouTube videos? Uh, man, so little. I think maybe, yeah. maybe five percent. And it was, and it was just because like uh, I had happened to be shooting it before I realized how much I hated the footage, so I was kind of mm -hmm. relying on it. So I had to save a lot of footage, like crushing eight-bit files and just desaturating a lot of it, and then kind of putting Yikes. a lot over it. And just like it doesn't look good, but it's fine. It's in like a montage or whatever. Like it was, yeah. it was bad, man. Um, wow. I I would have rather used like my my old iPhone Seven or something before I would have used that again for you know matching with other cameras and stuff like that. Um, I wasn't a fan. Um, I'm sure I was probably missing something. Uh, another huge thing was not having a joystick on that camera is a, a, the bane of my existence. I hate using. <laughs> I hate taking photos while I need to uh, move an autofocus point with my thumb on a screen. It is not intuitive, especially on that camera. It's not snappy to me. It feels laggy and shitty, and I'm like, just <clears throat> give me a freaking physical joystick. I'm a DSLR guy, you know? Like, I started, and, like, I, I'll never give up that that's a better way. If I have gloves on, if I have, you know what I mean? Like, give me the joystick. Yeah. Joystick fanboy forever. Can we use this to transition into the next topic? That's what so we can... that's what I was hoping to do, which is why I brought it up. Because and it's so f yeah. So <laughs> so I have a question to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were asking me about uh, a potential secondary camera for your travels, and uh, yeah. If you check out David's channel, he does some pretty cool like making coffee in different places videos, which are my favorite so far. Um, yeah. And uh, you know. He's in the process of getting rid of an A7 III because he has an A7 IV and was, you know, hopefully, you know, everybody would just go get an, another A7 IV, but that's not always in the cards right away if it doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense while you still have an A7 III. So uh, tell me about this camera that you said you alluded to having <laughs> gotten. Well, um, the fact that you don't like the, uh, or you, you need the joystick and the fact that you hate 8-bit. Unfortunately for you, I ended up buying an A7C, and I was wondering if that was what was in your mind when I told you, hey, I bought a new camera. Uh, it was not. Um, oh! It was not, but that's actually sick. So the A7C, to me, is one of the most compelling cameras that almost gets me to a 100% I would have that as my everyday camera. But the thing that it doesn't have is 
if that th- honestly give that thing a Cinetone and I think I could use it. So for me, I've been using um, S-Log3 a lot in learning because that's one thing that I haven't had no experience with prior to last year. Not any experience with actually creating proper footage. Um, So I've been heavy with S-Log3 and that's been fun for me to learn on. And I used S-Cinetone probably, I don't know, I probably did like four or five, maybe six different like wildlife clips. That's what I use it for a lot is really quick stuff for like talking to Instagram stories for the coffee stuff doing um, I use Tone for my 120p footage for whatever for wildlife um, but that's pretty much it if I'm doing actual proper storytelling I don't touch it I don't know why I just enjoy the process of grading sure. um, and maybe that's that's all I need you know for a reason but I got the a7c because for the longest time since it came out and I, maybe I knew at one time and I forgot that it had a fully articulating flip screen and once uh, I, I I was searching for like A7 IV kits and stuff, and the A7C was in like one of the listings for where I was looking, and I noticed in one of the pictures the screen was flipped out all the way, and I was like, oh, I completely forgot, which is pr- a pretty big requirement for me. I've been using both the A7 IV and the A7 III for these vlogs, these outdoor vlogs that I do. And typically, I like to use the A7 IV to vlog with, hold it up here so I can see myself with the flip out screen. It's wonderful, which means I have to use the A7 III for photography on those specific vlogs. Not usually an issue, but on the, the most recent vlog of that type that I did, I was testing out a firmware update for the Sigma 150 to 600 for wildlife, which also was accompanied by firmware updates on the A7 IV, and I needed to use that for photography. So I was forced to try to vlog with the A7 III with no flip-out screen. And I probably lost 30 minutes of footage of me talking to no recording camera in two different segments, and that was extremely frustrating for me to get up, walk around, and look at the and see that the camera was no longer recording and have no idea what it did or didn't capture. So that was a, a, a requirement just from that point on. And then I know there's workarounds for using like your phone to see yourself, whatever. Um, but it's just a, like an ultimate convenience in that in that way, which makes it seem like a requirement. So I made it one. Um, so the A7C has only 8-bit recording. I'm going to consider that a... Um, I'll deal with it for now. And when we see an A7C2, if that ever comes, I might upgrade if it's got 10-bit, if it's got a Cinetone, whatever. Um, However, it does have some autofocus upgrades over the A7 III, like continuous focus in video, which is a big deal if you're going to use it for vlogging, um, something that the A7 III did not have. Um, So, and that's that's not a huge issue when you're talking about a wide angle lens and you're vlogging with basically one um, kind of distance away with your arm. But if I'm using my tripod, which I tend to do on those types of videos and do different types of shots with me at very different distances, um, not being able to rely on continuous autofocus for video is kind of difficult. So it's the A7C. It should be here in a couple of days, and I'm very excited. Yeah, I mean, that's killer. Uh, like I said, I've, I've flirted with that camera for a long time. I love the form factor. I had a buddy who worked at the camp that I worked at that had one, and I got to play with it a bunch. And uh, I, I think for me, because my experience is mainly creating content for camp, for uh, you know, my current position at the job that I have, like a lot of my stuff was, I just need to like get some stuff out right now. 
and I'm just going to shoot some reels, and I don't really want to sit there and color grade a bunch of stuff. So Ascendytone was honestly game-changing for me, and I hate using game-changing, but like, it just looks good enough that I just make it either a little punchier or do some exposure corrections, and it crushes for an Instagram reel or for you know a quick YouTube video or even some of the promotional stuff that I do because most of the uh, most of the work that you know was happening at the camp was on A64 and A6500s. So my 7S3 with a Cinetone, it just looked better right away. I didn't have to do anything. Right, another big factor, huge factor, because um, I have a family. I got two kids. The A7C that I found was a thousand dollars less than a new A7 IV. Yeah, that's a big deal. I yeah. got bills to pay, yeah. so it, it's going to work, and it will work, and I, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I I think you should be. Um, I fully feel like I would have one if I didn't have the two bodies that I have, because I pushed yeah. so much of my other hobbies, like sold like so much stuff to even have the cameras I have, and uh, I mean I I foolishly didn't get rid of the A7R4 when I did. Um, when I was, was planning to, I should have just got the a seven four when I was, you know, at, when I had the pre-order, but, uh, the, I really, really hope they, they do refresh that. Um, it makes absolute sense. Like I think in the photography space, the fully articulating still, still for some reason gets a, a ton of bad rep. I actually love the a seven R fives implementation because I loved the Panasonic S one H, but Barring that, as much as I would rather have the Tilty Boy on a, a photography camera, when when you're on location and you're a one-gun guy, you know, you can't really, you can't do anything else. I don't care about your phone. I don't care about an external monitor when I'm, I'm traveling with the wife and kids, you know, kind of situation. Or, like, I just need to, like, throw a couple things in my carry-on bag and have a fully-fledged situation that I know is just going to work and it's going to be bomb-proof. Um, I try to have as little accessories attached to my stuff as I can. So I feel you. <clears throat> That's the big thing for me, too. It's just going to work. There's nothing extra to fidget with. And um, the A7IV's implementation means that you can turn it around and face the actual LCD towards the body. I've had my A7 III. Thankfully, it had a screen protector on it. I just opened my camera bag up one day, and the screen protector was shattered. Um, that could not happen if the screen could it you know, flip around and actually face the body with the, uh, you know, on the outside portion of the screen being a protecting force, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So it just um, makes total sense. Yeah, I like them. Like I said, I'm, I'm excited to see the, the A7R4 <coughs> implementation on more cameras because it's just, again, I haven't used the A7R5 yet, rather, but I have used the S1H, and I do love that flippy setup. It's so good. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely killer. So um, it gives me my, I like to shoot waist level, and shooting waist level with the fully articulating of the A7S3 and the A7C and stuff, it's not ideal. I can totally do it. It's never been a problem. But given that direct choice, I would rather it flip just straight out from the body. So um, I get it. But, you know, yeah. YouTube is YouTube, and uh, you're usually shooting you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. So that, yeah, that, I mean, as far as my kit now, it's the A7 IV. Um, I am about to sell the A7 III. I do have a buyer who has communicated to me that they want the camera. They've accepted the, the price that I put out there for it and the 35mm uh, 2.8, you know, the little little tiny prime. Um, and that's that's awesome. So I'm um, waiting until she's ready for that. And then, then it's gone, it's off, and... And yeah, then it's the A7C, the A7 IV together, and 
it's between the 20 mil, my 150 to 600, the 85 um, FE. Uh, I, I like all that that gear, so that's, that's going to work for me. Are you going to shoot? Are you just going to use that as your second body for weddings and stuff too, despite the one car? Oh, or? absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I a I have to. It's going to work, and I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, but B, what I'm probably going to end up doing is throwing the um, the 85 on the a7 IV, better autofocus, just a faster, better performing camera all around, um, and just throwing the wide angle on the a7C so it doesn't have to worry so much about autofocus, and it'll just get what it gets. It'll be good. Yeah, I mean, the, the raw files off, it'll be perfectly fine. There's no... Yeah. <laughs> it'll do yeah. everything that any of the other oh, two yeah. cameras can do so i mean i shot everything with the a7 III at one point while i was shooting that alongside the d850 and that's a different type of beast altogether to compare to but the a7 III um was staggeringly better at um autofocus and and getting the images that i was hoping to always get with weddings and if the a7 III can do it the a7c should be no problem yeah, absolutely for sure that's cool well then uh my next topic that I wanted to bring up, because you and I have kind of been shooting back and forth a lot of, like, potential rumors, a lot of different things, but uh, having what you have now, I want to know what do you want to see in the camera market this year, and what are you looking to acquire? Like, what kind of tools do you think you are is the next step for you? Well, okay, so uh, if this is a, one thing that I bring up with you all the time. And we both have similar sentiments on why we don't have a, a decently good, well-priced 50 mil 1.4 yeah. on the Sony system. Yeah. I mean, we have, what is it, uh, $1,000 plus options. And we have the Samyang, basically. Sigma, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting because on the D850, they had the, um, the, the, the HSM version yeah. on, the, on the Nikon. Uh, F mount and I loved it on the D850 with that 45 megapixels. That Sigma Art 514 was so sharp, um, but you know you're not on mirrorless, um, and even though it was a great overall performing camera, it's not the fastest system by any means. So what I really want is for Sigma to come out with a Sigma 14 for Sony natively, for it to be fast, DGDN sharp, um, and I would love to see it under a thousand dollars to really really compete. Um, I don't think we're getting that this year. I think we would have heard something by now. Other than the little spec sheet leak yeah. that's out there that's floating around, but who knows, you know. Funny you said that. We will talk more about that when I do a rumor roundup in a couple minutes. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> right on. Uh, so is that kind of both? Like you're hoping to see a 50 and that's probably what your next move for your work is? <laughs> Probably. If, if they come out and say within the next, you know, sometime in the first half of this year that it's coming, let's say, at the second half of the year, it'll it'll be a definite buy for me, for sure. sure. Um, 50 mil was, uh, I mean, on the previous systems that I've used for weddings especially, it was always uh, 50 on one body and a 70 to 200 on another body, and then swapping the 50 out for the 20 when I needed that. And basically I could run with those three lenses all the time. Um, if I had the 50 again, I've got the 85, it would probably be 50-85 or 20-85 and just those three lenses because often I found that the 70-200 was versatile and amazing, yes. Um, but I can do pretty much just everything the same on the 85. Um, you know, just using my feet to zoom, which is the old saying, right? So. 
if they if they announce such a lens for this year, it's a absolute definite buy for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I think for me, I'm I'm desperate that we get desperate that we get Sony to understand that shutter angle is something that people want on their small bodies, and I want to see them go open gate. And I want to see them put breathing comp on other stuff. I'm really hoping they bring some of that to the A7S III. I will legitimately eat whatever crop they want to put on that camera for breathing compensation. Um, and I don't, I don't know that they have three two sensors. So I feel like an A7S III absolutely could go open gate with how small and how fast the the camera is. I'd love to see it open gate. I want to shoot open gate again. I I'm from Panasonic Lumix GH5s and GH4s, so like these features I had and then relinquished when I came to Sony, and now that they're like really in the picture and the S5 II is out and things like that, I'm like Sony better start to go. Oh, now we actually have to do this. Like Panasonic has autofocus, we have to we have to push, but. Um, will it come in a firmware update? Probably not. So I guess <coughs> I guess I'm hoping for an A7S4, or uh, you know, and I they would be crazy to make an A7 five already. But um, well, either of them, right? I mean, how long has it been since the A7S three? What three years now? Yeah, which is uh, you know, I think it was like so... almost six. Uh, the last like gap that they they had them, but but cameras. Are but between the first two, it wasn't nearly as long of a gap, right? So we really. No. If we're going to try and use trends, it's almost impossible to say, are they going to wait three years, six years? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, each era from A7 to A7 II to A7 III was all vastly yeah. different kind of markets and very different everything. So, and technology pace is different. Yeah. Um, I think they're kind of in the situation where they can just keep releasing bodies and people will buy them and flip them and yeah. do that. So I don't think it would be crazy for them to say, uh, we heard you... Uh, the A7R5 is not the hybrid camera people hoped it would be for. Uh, 38 and 31 millisecond rolling shutter on that thing is actually. Uh, I didn't realize. I didn't realize how huge. I didn't realize how bad the APS-C mode crop like video was until I watched it on a giant projector. I think I had uh, sent you a video or a, a photo or something. I I'd mentioned it to you on Instagram and it was like disgusting to look at i was like what am i watching and it was just yeah. like chris nichols literally walking down the road handheld and it was just like <laughs> i was like nah dude that's, i'm good <laughs> and that's one of those things where it's like it's that's a picky thing because of all the other great things that these recent sony bodies do yeah. right but it's one of those things where for like even amateur filmmakers yeah. having that rolling shutter issue is such a such a like deal breaker for some people and for me even I'm looking at it, and the A7C has just as bad of rolling shutter as the A7 III, and the A7 IV has pretty bad rolling shutter too. Um, but they can't just go ahead and put stacked sensors in these in these cameras, right. and and cannibalize their A9s and their A1s. So it's really difficult. And the A7S IV, whatever that's going to be, it's probably going to be. I mean, we'd have to imagine to be a stack sensor at that point, right? For the yeah. A7S. I mean, if they're going to keep it around like four grand, like they might as well. Uh, and. And so, like, even the rolling shutter on the A7 IV, though, not nearly as bad as this camera. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. it's slightly improved to the A7 IV in crop sensor mode. Like, that was my first test when I when I had gotten the shops back when it came out. And I was like, okay, well, it's not that much of an improvement. And that kind of made me not really care to get it. Because I have an A7S III. Like, that's what I'm going to pick up. I'm one guy. I can usually only handhold one camera, and I'm tripoding yeah. the other. So, like, it doesn't truly matter. Um 
But, but I will tell you that for wildlife, it's huge because at a, at 600 mil, it's everything is pronounced. Good. So if I try to shoot silent, you know, electronic only on the A7 IV, everything is slanted, wobbly, oh, yeah, and yeah. totally unusable. So yeah. it's it's you know for different use cases. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I like I shoot shooting sports, and I shoot you know I've been shooting at camps and stuff like that. So soccer and water sports and things like that. But like. I could not use that camera at work. Like, none of that video footage would work for my, my current job. Because um, it's, like, in crop sensor mode, the readout is still 31 mega or uh, milliseconds, which is only 7 less milliseconds than, like, the full frame 8K. And I went, Eey. And I love the AI autofocus. I love all the features. I love the back screen, like I had already said. Almost everything about it I would love. It's got a Cinetone. Like, I would get rid of my 7R4 yesterday and get it, but it's not actually going to benefit me that much. So I just would probably not use the video as much. Like, it would be a mm. great photo camera, but I still have an A7R4. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to say. But, yeah, that uh, I, I want to know what that next body will look like because both of the cameras that I like the most, the A7IV and the A7S three, they're not going to get an update, I don't think. Like, probably not till 2025, <laughs> I, I would imagine. I, I agree, um, and it's really difficult to even speculate with how how much they packed into the A7 IV. Like, how much more value can they possibly provide for an A7S IV if the, if it's especially if it's not a stacked sensor? With what you can do with an A7 IV, it's going to be really difficult for them to slap a four thousand dollar price tag on an A7S IV and say that it's so much more worth something like an A7 IV. It's going to be difficult. I can tell you, I know exactly how they could do it. Tell me. It would be a 24 megapixel, 6K readout, open gate, shutter angle, eat my heart out, Panasonic killer. <laughs> like, if they just did, like, the Ace, they'd have to have a fast. Like, they already have the, you know, the A92, I think, is getting a little long in the tooth, too. So, like, maybe it just turns into there's like a f super fast camera and they consolidate some of their stuff and maybe it's $4,500 or whatever. But like, I know personally so many like camera talking head YouTuber people that if that was open gate, had shutter angle, had the AI autofocus and was 6k open gate, it's done because I have S log three. I have S Cinetone, I have, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe they do 4K cropped at 240 FPS. That's not something people have talked about, but, you know. Yeah, it's on the horizon. It has to be. Right, because, like, again, it's not it's not a resolution thing. I don't need 6K. I want 6K right. open gate. That's a different thing, right? I'm still delivering to 16 by 9 uh, and 9 by 16 4K, right? I'm not doing <laughs> I'm not doing 6K, you know, native stuff. I want it yeah. to be open gate like that, so... Um, and I suppose even, if, you know, especially if they keep that megapixel count down a little bit, um, there's always opportunity to improve dynamic range and tonal range and yeah. things like that. Well, the, the AI autofocus in general is going to be huge. Uh, it's going to be much improved by the time they have a video centric camera. And it's just going to be disgusting when uh, yeah. when you're like, OK, well, the S12 or the S, uh, you know, whatever the other the other uh, S1R2 or whatever they're going to do at Panasonic comes out there's still going to be a probably big generational gap away from whatever Sony will put out when they release that body. Um, 
so I digress. I, I think there's there's still a little bit of room for some big improvement. I, I would like to see a, a little bit of a consolidation to like four uh, R and S maybe. Um, but I, I don't personally use the, the A1 or the um, A9 product lines. So maybe they're not right. as important. Maybe they are super huge and people still use them. But um, And I, I know a lot of wedding people that were on the A9s and stuff. But mm-hmm. um but yeah, that, I mean, those are without S-Log, I think, and things like that. They don't really do full video stuff at all. So um, right. I, I could see an A9 III just kind of eating the, the A7S IV. Um, which, again, if they throw on the, the video stuff and they make that a hybrid, then whew. Right. But maybe I'm getting a little too too close to the sun with all of those ideas. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've certainly kind of capitalized on segmenting a price difference market with these cameras. Yeah. It does, it's, it, an A9 has never crossed my mind, even though I shoot, I used to shoot 10, 15 weddings a year, and A1 certainly was never um, in my mind. And those are professional bodies, and there's there's a place for them. But you can get so much done with a $2,000 body. Yeah. You definitely can. And today, by today's standards, the tech that comes in a new $2,000, $2,400 body gets the job done because we were doing it 10 years ago with so much less. Yeah, yeah, Well, and then, like, you know, people like Patrick Tommaso say here on YouTube and on Twitter, it's like, all cameras are good, shut up. Yeah. And then take some, he, he'll go ahead and take, like, four iPhone photos that are better than most people's, like, I run an XV, you know, an X100V, and, like, look at my sweet photos. And he's like, all mine are iPhone, and they're better, so. Um, oh, that reminds me. I will, I would do, I you know how close I was to ordering the ZV-E10. Yeah. Do you know how close I was when I saw just how like how that camera was oriented? And I was in my head going, man, I could save so much more money if I am okay with just the terrible IBIS or whatever. And, and if I'm okay with the worst dynamic range and the, and the crop. And I was like making all these, these reasonings in my head for uh, how this could work and eventually i had to reality check myself and go hey this second body has to also shoot weddings right it has to be it has to be pretty actually capable yeah. and i'm and from an investment standpoint i can i can resell the a7c whereas if i bought that zve 10 it's going to be a whole lot harder to recoup the majority of that cost yeah. and that's what i do is you know as wedding photographers we shoot a lot and we need to keep up a little bit with the tech that um you know is is required of some of those types of jobs so the zve 10 was in my mind for a hot day or two just like looking at it i watched the gerald undone video and he's like you know it's fine it's good it's like for what it's built for it's fine and i'm like i need to use it for a little more than what it's built for i was so close to buying i was close to getting one too i was looking at them before i got that a6500 but i happened to be able to trade guitar stuff for that so like i didn't put any money into that and then i sold it for like 550 dollars so um, it is what it is, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I often will get too hyper focused on like one problem I'm trying to solve with my kit, and then go, "Oh, there's this other one that exists, though." Corey, sorry, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see the eight, like you bopping around with the form factor because uh, that's the most exciting part of the A7C for me. Is I mm-hmm. I, I legitimately love the form factor. Um, yeah, dude. If I can show you the. I shoot a little bit of film 
and there is nothing that feels better than running around with a range file range finder style camera quite like this fujika um this v2 there's something so nice about this the, the form factor of it i mean it's just so classic feeling um i haven't had the opportunity to play with an a7c yet but i have this vision of what that could feel like what that could look like and maybe that's superficial i have no idea but i want it and we're gonna get it yeah oh yeah um i i think they're dope um i think you're gonna have a lot of fun are you right eye dominant by chance yeah. Uh, see, I'm left eye dominant, so the rangefinder deal isn't actually that <laughs> helpful to me. I poke the mm. screen with my nose, so I have to deactivate touch like options. Uh, Yikes! Because like I'm heavily left eye dominant, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm excited because uh, you know you do a, a lot of good little street photography and shit when you're bopping around, and I'm I happen to think if you have a small lens on that camera, you're probably more willing to take it with you than you know. Oh, 100 percent. Not th they're not that much smaller. It's definitely a form factor thing. It makes you not. Well, you do. You. I mean, what is it? You drop off a cut, like an inch, maybe an inch and a half off the top yeah. viewfinder. So for street photography, like I was just in New Orleans a couple of you know month uh, back in November, so a couple of months ago, I would have taken the A7C in a heartbeat yeah. over the A7IV. Yeah. I felt you know a little bit like uh, you know this is a little much. It's not a big camera, but it's you know it's pretty obvious yeah. that this is a decent camera. The A7C would have been a little bit better for. You know, yeah. just bopping around. It looks a little incognito. <laughs> it's like it's just incognito enough that you're like, not, yeah. not bad. Yeah. I, I flirted with that Fuji for a little bit, man, and we haven't talked a lot about it because I actually haven't spoken with you uh, other than texting since I've been back. But uh, the almost every single thing about that was amazing, and I was so happy to have a small camera, and I did shoot more, and I and I liked to have it with me, except for the fact that. It had this tiny little dingleberry joystick that was made of plastic. It was like a little nubbin. And then you want to tell us again exactly which one you're talking about? Oh, so I mean, they're all all the joysticks are the same as far as I'm concerned, but uh, besides the new ones. But I had the the XE4, and uh, I had gotten a 27 mil that I returned pretty fast. But I was running the 16 to 80, and even with the 16 to 80, that lens is a lot smaller than I had thought it was going to be. You know, F4 is whatever, but that that camera handles low light really well like i was shooting at like 64 and 8000 iso on a APS-C body and like making images that i liked that i was like these are mm -hmm. these are sick um mm -hmm. i loved the film simulations like i don't think that's like overblown at all how nice they are uh they look great and the raw files are fun to play with so like i was shooting jpeg and raw most of the time I would just take the JPEG, but sometimes I would tweak them a little bit and um, it was sweet, but I just like, I'm already such a big guy that having like even an 85 or even my 40, so I picked up the Zeiss Battis 40 mil F2, having that in my A7R4, it's barely larger, especially when like I still kind of need to carry a sling bag to carry the Fuji. So the final segment that I would like to bring up is uh, we're going to start doing rumor roundups because I am just a rumor hound. I read Sony Alpha rumors like almost every day, um, but at least every couple of days I, I see if there's a post. I, I used to be crazy about Canon rumors when I was trying to hope they'd release a camera. Um, and I'm glad I didn't hold my breath because even the, the R6 II <laughs> isn't quite where I would need it. But 
Um, and this is the segment where you're going to teach me some things because I don't <laughs> hound those sites yeah. often. So uh, I'm, I usually I learn these things from you, and then I go and Google real quick, and well, then I can make conversation because I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, that that's what I that's why I like it because I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out a rumor to you and kind of suggest what yeah. I feel about it, and then you can kind of just react uh, naturally. For sure. um, so the the most recent canon-based rumor that I think is at least somewhat interesting is that they're supposedly releasing an ultra-wide zoom that could potentially be a 10 to 24 mil f4 mm. for full frame a 10 to 24 f4 for full frame and the first thing I thought was well this entire lens is useless for video because their ibis <laughs> at 10 mil is gonna be horrible <laughs> Yeah, and I have to imagine distortion distortion is going to be a concern in the vignetting. And, uh, I mean, the first thing I thought of, I actually did hear this rumor, um, the first thing I thought of, and just comparatively in my mind, was the 20-70 to 70 that just released from Sony. And they're nothing alike. But I had no idea until I watched Jared Pollan's video that how bad the vignetting was on 20 on that lens. It's gnarly. Yeah. Nobody's talking about the vignetting on that lens. Yeah. So I would like to see distortion and vignetting if such a lens were to pop up from Canon. And I'm sure that they have a handle on physics and how to design such a lens, but you're right. Ibis is going to be a concern for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I still think, like, you know, uh, I'm an old guard uh, Peter McKinnon fanboy from, like, 2017 or whatever, but uh, they were in Iceland, and his Iceland video has some some 15 to 35 footage in it that I'm like, you thought that was okay? <laughs> like, and, like, I'm not trying to be, like, you know, picky or, like, annoying or, like, an elitist or something, but I was like, that's, like, friggin' horrible. Like, I wouldn't have put that shot in well, my cut. here's it's the thing. So he his audience is full of filmmakers amateur yeah. filmmakers pro professionals and so there's a big i wouldn't say majority but a big audience of people who are going to be picky about that it's got to be something that he's got to be aware of well and so. i'm sure he did and i'm sure he probably doesn't care that much because he has addressed his criticism despite being like at some level either an ambassador or a partner or a friend of canon um yeah. But that was that was the moment, and uh, Tyler Stallman talks a lot about how it's pretty bad too. Um, if if you don't watch his content, I actually would like Tyler Stallman quite a lot. But uh, he's he's a huge Canon user, and but he's not gonna not be critical about any of the tools that he uses because he's a professional. Like he's making content yeah. for clients every single day as his primary um, like gig, and uh, yeah, it's just it's really horrible so good luck at 10 mil because like yeah so the second and final rumor for this week is going to be that sigma leaked a photo and you saw the 50 f1 for dgdn but they also are talking about a g master 1.4 from sony yeah. and so yeah. my question to you is what would it take i know you have uh you know the hsm kind of legacy with your kit but what would it take like say the g master is probably definitely more expensive um, i think it's going to be in the 13 1400 range like the 3514 and the 8514 or the the 2414 and stuff like that it'll be probably less than 1500 but if it's 1399 and the sigma is 1099 would you prefer the g master oh man it's a tough one because 
it really does for me budget is a big thing i don't have tons of money to throw around i don't even shoot that many weddings anymore i'm shooting like four or five now that the coffee is taking over so i have the luxury of not you know defaulting to nice high-end gear because i can get away with it um so it would disappoint me to see sigma being over a thousand dollars it would not surprise me to see the Sony be thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars. Um, if they're that close, if we're talking about eleven hundred dollars versus, let's say thirteen hundred dollars, I think I'd go Sony. A, it's going to have the aperture ring probably, where Sigma probably is not going to put an aperture Sig- ring. On. Sigmas will have an aperture ring. Oh, it will. Okay, well that that makes it even harder. But sure. we can also probably assume the Sony is going to be faster, sharper. Um, and that's something to consider if we're only talking about $200. Let's say we're talking about three to $500 difference. I'd take the Sigma because I know that they're capable now. They've been capable for a long time, um, and I don't need it to be fast as lightning for the couple of weddings that I do because I have plenty of experience with, on the HSM model getting yep. the job done. Now, what if the one four from Sigma is actually nearly the size of the one two from Sony and the Sony one four is close to that 35, which is closer to your 20 mil remind you like it is a small ass lens. <laughs> Cause that I think is the factor for me. If that thing comes close to the size of the 35, I don't care if it's 1499, I'm probably going to do that because I probably will never have to buy a Sony 50 mil ever again. Sony, <laughs> Sony has been on, this streak of releasing, uh, you know, evolutions of lenses that happen to be quite a bit smaller, whether they're lighter or not, um, size is a factor. And if I was still shooting 10, 15 weddings, it would be a huge factor. Um, but I'm only going to be lugging around that type of lens for three or four weddings this year. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be as big of a factor for me, but I can absolutely agree with you that a lot of people would be swayed if they managed to pull a 1.4 off with a much smaller footprint. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, I, I assume optically they're going to be pretty damn close. I don't really have a beef with anything that's uh, the DGDN models. I'm using the 28-70 to 70 at work, the 2.8, the like, contemporary, and it does everything that I need that to do at work, right. which is pretty cool. Um, so I'm sure it's going to be sharp. I, I would have to consider because I currently don't have a breathing comp body, but knowing that I probably will, that would make me lean to Sony, uh, because I doubt that the breathing compensation would be, uh, like totally handled. It'll be like the 35 where there will be a ton of it, but for some reason, if that Sigma is larger, but doesn't suffer from very bad breathing compensation that might be the other x factor that pulls me because i would go okay that's going to be tough right we're going to have to this is my thing is i'm never one to pre-order basically anything i'm always watching reviews and i'll watch basically all of them that are i'll scour youtube for the smallest accounts who are doing reviews of some of these lenses even if they're not super expensive because i want the most candid unbiased here's the issue i had with this that no one's telling you type of reviews um and focus breathing isn't a huge deal for me but some of them can be pretty bad and if it's a huge difference at the cost at uh, you know at the with the trade-off being that the sony is much smaller but it's got bad focus breathing but oh we can fix it with breathing comp not on the a7s3 you can't Right. You know, that's a that's a deal breaker for some people for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you said there's there's times where I think you probably get to 22 or 23, between 22 to 23 millimeters when you use breathing comp on the 20. But like for me, the breathing on the 20 was pretty bad. Um, I wasn't I wasn't super super thrilled about it. So it's nothing that's ever really bugged me too much. But I probably don't have the same type of workflows and um, tendencies uh, that you do that make it an issue for sure. me. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I mean, you you keep it off for your talking heads, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't think for what you do, I've it's distracted me and I'm pretty sensitive to it because that's kind of like when I'm just listening and my eyes start to drift. Those are the yeah. things I look at. And I um, can always trust you to tell me if there was something <laughs> that bugged you yeah. and I can improve yeah, yeah, yeah. based on that. And that's not been brought up. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's been a big deal, but yeah, interesting. Um, I, like you had said earlier in this episode, I just am like waiting for a not 51 two. It's nice. I don't know that I'd keep a two thousand dollar fifty mil. Like it's, you know, I've been I've been flirting with it for what a year and a half, <laughs> telling you, oh, maybe I'll sell my seventy to two hundred, which is my favorite <laughs> lens of all time, and all this other crap. But uh, I, I definitely would like to see it around a thousand bucks. If if the Sigma doesn't really have any any breathing comp or uh, any breathing at all, I might just probably chef for the lower end one. Um, it, it honestly still baffles me that we're seeing a G Master that could be, you know, fourteen hundred dollars when they could have made a G for eight hundred bucks. It's well, and that's that's what I was saying, man. I wanted I wanted a fifty fifty one four, even a really good fifty one eight from Sony that was a G lens. They made that like two five or whatever, and they have a forty two five and a fifty two five, and I don't even consider them to be like. That's really cool for street photographers yeah. and people that want the small. There's a place you know, for those. Uh, an A7C with that, if you're like always at a five six or something, and you just love street photography and really candid stuff, it's mm -hmm. epic because it's a tiny lens, especially because you don't need the the goofy um, hood on it. You could just run run it raw and it's real tiny, mm -hmm. um, kind of like what you what you want from that Zeiss that you have, but it's yeah. just a little long in the tooth, a little old, yeah. right? The the optical quality, but yeah. Um, so fingers crossed for that because that would probably round out my kit for a while. This 40 is nice, but I'm actually starting to see F2 be a limiting factor for it being a, a prime for me. Hmm. Um, I do a lot of low light at work and stuff like that, and I could use the 1.4 for sure. But you're right. If we were to see even a 518G, let's say it was six, seven, even $800, if, if I ended up watching tons of reviews that just go, Yes, it's a one eight, but it's amazing. You know that's fine, but they yeah, that's they that's just two hundred bucks. It. It's two hundred bucks less than a thousand, right? So it's under your budget, and it's only a third of a stop. If it was sharp and did what you needed, you're saving two hundred bucks, and it's a great right. lens. So. You know, I've shot vlogs at ISO ten thousand. I it, that yeah. is one of those things where if the lens is quality all around at the cost of one eight versus one four, there's something to be said about that. It, because they can deliver an amazing lens in a yep. lot more people's price ranges. Yep. Yeah. I just wish we saw something like that. Yeah. Plus, plus a thousand gets really tough, even for me, who's using these every day for work. Yeah. So, I'm I'm with you. But uh, but yeah, 
Thanks for finally getting this started. I'm excited. We'll talk about the second episode. I do not know if this will be monthly, if this will be bi-monthly, if this will be quarterly yet. <laughs> but uh, I think we're going to try and shift this onto YouTube. I'm at a temporary space. I move into my actual apartment in April. So uh, we'll probably give it a few episodes before we start to really hone in on how we want the episodes to be. But if you're still listening, thank you so much. Uh, in the show notes down below, I'm going to have all the links to David and my social media. Check out his coffee. Check out his photography. Um, you know, check out some dogs that I post. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll talk to you or see you or we'll yap at you next time. Uh, you can go ahead and yeah, sign man. off if you'd like to, David. Yeah, yeah. I just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, if you're watching, if this ends up on YouTube or wherever, thanks for watching. Um, and just like Corey said, you can find our information below. And if you want to be a part of the coffee community, if you're a coffee nerd, I'd love to have you over there too.